if we can get the technology out there, we can produce much faster travel, much safer. The more autonomous vehicles you have and that they can communicate, the smoother the system will run. The ability to basically remove traffic lights and stop signs and things like that because they already know exactly how to move to flow through each other. Um, I think that can make a much more efficient economy. Your travel to work could be half as long and you don't need to constantly be paying attention. You're just always the passenger. You're listening to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary, here to deconstruct complex computer science concepts bit by bit and explain what the tech is going on. My name is Paolo. My name is Lynn. Today we're trying something new. We actually have two guests, and they're both computer science students at UCalgary. They have different research interests, but they recently teamed up to work on a project together. So in this episode, we find out what the tech is up with autonomous vehicles, as well as how it affects pedestrians with reduced mobility. Without further ado, please welcome Ashratus Zavin Asha and Christopher Smith. Welcome to the show, Asha and Christopher. Thanks for having us. Let's start off with Asha, and why don't you just walk us through, uh, who are you, what are you currently doing, your projects? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Ashradu Zavin Asha. I'm currently doing my master's uh, in the computer science department. And uh, I have started my study from the last year of fall 2019. Currently, I'm working in the interactions lab uh, under the supervision of Dr. Ehud Sherlin. And I work in the area of human-robot interaction. And more specific, I'm working to explore interactions between autonomous vehicle and different pedestrians. So, and I also did my undergrad from, from Bangladesh and my major was computer science and engineering. And then I always wanted to do my higher studies in uh, uh, outside of my country. So yeah, I applied for here and I got the chance. Well, yeah. congratulations. Um, that's so cool. So, um, you know, you, you got into computer science and all that. Uh, do you remember kind of your first uh, interaction with computer science? Yeah, uh, when I uh, saw that uh, many of the applications that we are using currently, like uh, Facebook and then email, all those are uh, by writing down codes and we can create uh, this, type of, uh, this type of applications to solve uh, different problems. So I get... I, uh, got interested to this kind of um, designing applications, uh, building softwares, and uh, I also found uh, interest in the human-computer uh, interaction field. The in that part, I'm doing my uh, master studies now. So because uh, human-computer interaction includes uh, human problems, uh, so that we can find out whether this application will be applicable to the human. Uh, well. Uh, Will it be uh, accepted uh, to different users, how they are going to use it and what type of problems they might, they might face? So yeah. I found uh, this interest, yeah. How did that uh, topic kind of come up to you? Yeah, I was doing one project in my undergrad studies and that was about um, distributing medicines. Like uh, if I have leftover medicine, I can distribute to others who doesn't uh, who who might need it. So in that case, I need some participants to ask them, will you uh, try to use some type of uh, website that can give you uh, free medicines? Uh, how will mm. it be? How would it be the idea of using someone else's medicine 
uh, for your own purpose. So yeah, in that kind of, uh, that was my first project that includes uh, uh, participants, uh, like human who are, uh, whom I'm asking that, uh, about my project, about my website and about the idea. Mm-hmm. Moving on to now you've um, moved here to U Calgary and have started developing uh, your research topic. Um, was it right away that you uh, met Christopher here or what, what was kind of like the, the background there? Yeah, I'm doing research in the Interactions Lab and Christopher is also uh, working here at the same lab. So our supervisor is also the same. So uh, when I started first my uh, start, uh, research uh, in exploring interactions between autonomous vehicle and pedestrians, Christopher was doing another project of his own. But uh, finally, we uh, uh, decided to work together in our project, uh, which is uh, in exploring interactions for autonomous vehicle. So that's how we um, started working. But before then that, we knew each other because um, in the interactions lab, we do different studies where we need uh, participants, or we need interaction designers to uh, participate in our studies. So Christopher participated in one of my studies and I also participated mm-hmm. in his studies. So that's how we worked together and we knew each other. Perfect, cool, amazing. All right. Um... So why don't we hop over to Christopher, who's been very patiently uh, (laughs) sitting right here. Uh, We'll go through the same thing. Uh, Who are you and what are you currently doing? And uh, we'll we'll unpack everything again uh, later. Sure. Um, So my name is Christopher. I have had a long running interest in video game design. Um, And that's basically been like my career path since middle school, uh, which got me into computer science in the first place. Right. Um, Just this year, I graduated for my undergrad um, with an honors and concentration in video game design. Mm. Um, The research side only started last year. I wasn't intending to go into research. um, But during the summer when I was reviewing my courses, I saw I only had a few credits left. And I was basically only one honors course short, the research project, from going into honors. So I'm like, well, why not? Um, Eventually, I found Dr. Ehud um, and pitched a few uh, different projects since I'm quite interested in, on a research side, uh, better ways to interact with virtual reality um, Mm -hmm. as it might apply to video games. we talked it over and he convinced me into kind of like a different project just to get my feet wet with research, which was autonomous vehicles and kind of potential dangers they pose and how we could address those. Right. And so those became my last year's research project. Cool. That's so cool. Um, so you said that you mentioned uh, that your first kind of spark of passion for computer science kind of came in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of describe your first interaction that you had with either a computer or a video game? Like what was the, I, I, I can assume that the video game kind of came before. Interest in video game definitely came first because I owned an N64 like very young. Amazing. And so that was basically my favorite pastime. And that kind of introduced me to like, how do you make these things that are so much fun to interact with? Mm-hmm. Um, and that eventually got me interested in computer science and computers. Um, and also helped that in middle school, I had several friends who were playing around with coding. Um, and so I actually got to see 
that actually is my first interaction with coding um, as a concept rather than just using computers as things that you check your email or something like that. Right, right. You mentioned a couple of things. What were like the major things that happened in your uh, your undergrad mm. that were like um, kind of significant for you kind of validating your passion for, for computer science? There are actually a few like really distinct points. Um, interestingly enough, the very first computer science course I took, just the introduction, um, I think really cemented my desire to like continue with that in university mm -hmm. because some of the first projects were things like we built a battleship game in Python um, and just like little board games like that. Because I was expecting like, I'm interested in video games, but they're going to be, the courses I'm going to take are going to be about stuffy things of computing mm -hmm. algorithms and stuff that I don't really care about. Mm -hmm. right. And to see like the very first course do something interesting and fun right. um, made me realize like, I'm actually going to have a good time with this. Yeah, yeah. And then later, um, at a higher level course, I got to do some more stuff with that, like in microarchitectures too, when you're programming on like a very, very low level, mm -hmm. uh, we recreated the Bomberman game from absolute scratch. <laughs> so that was really cool. That's so awesome. And in the video game capstone course, um, for the concentration, we got to build a racing game out of scratch and like a small team like you would actually do in a video game studio. So lots of really cool courses. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So kind of before you uh, met um, Asha, uh, what was kind of happening in your life? I was about halfway through my research project with Ehud yeah. with uh, dangerous autonomous vehicles. And it kind of started because he had suggested I'd had a plan to go to Japan, uh, which was moderately expensive. And wow. so he suggested like, oh, um, there's extra funding available for undergrads who are considering graduate studies, um, but you need a different project to be working on to get the funding. Um, and we realized that because Asha was also working on a similar idea um, that the stuff I'd already been looking into might apply to her research as well. And so it was a good excuse to get the additional funding and I could help out. You met each other and you just realized that your um, research interests aligned and you could help each other out. Um, mm -hmm. What happened then? Like Initially, it was very much like Asha's project. She had been working on it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of got introduced as, because I have some background because of my game design stuff with using Unity and Unreal as like development engines. Mm. Um, and so I thought initially I could just help out Asha with the virtual reality part because both of ours use virtual reality to simulate these interactions because we don't want to use actual cars for it. Right. Just a bit too dangerous. Totally. Um, so virtual reality, a nice substitute. And I had some experience. So I was just going to do some of the technical stuff. So yeah, then uh, from the very beginning, I was doing research to find out what type of interactions may we design for uh, creating communication between autonomous vehicle and pedestrian. So I started my research doing a design study with interaction designers to find out uh, what the invasion, like what type of interfaces maybe we can design. So I got some findings and then I started to work uh, to develop these uh, findings into a virtual reality environment, then um, me and uh, Christopher and my uh, supervisor had a meeting about that uh, me and Christopher might work together in the developing part. So 
that uh, as Christopher mentioned that uh, uh, he can develop uh, uh, these interfaces in the virtual reality using Unity engines. So yeah, from that, uh, from then we started to work together by discussing our interactions uh, of different interfaces and then different scenarios and what type of uh, simulations can we design in the Unity. So yeah, from then we have, uh, we are working together in the project now. Cool, that's so cool. So it's essentially like he's kind of bringing the environment and you're kind of bringing the- The idea and the findings, yeah. That's so cool, that's that's really awesome. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, with your, your your research and all that, and then with with Christopher's, uh, you know, ability to, you know, not kill people with, uh, with, the, with the research findings. So that's, you know, win-win. Um, so your project revolves mainly around autonomous vehicles. Um, that's uh, both Paulo and I are very kind of intrigued with the whole idea. Um, so what exactly defines a vehicle as autonomous? There are different types of autonomy at first, if I want to say, like there can be semi-autonomous vehicle. That means uh, there will be driver, but the vehicle has some uh, functions that sometimes the driver uh, is not driving the vehicle, but the vehicle can take the overall control of doing all the tasks of our driving. So uh, that is called semi-autonomous vehicle. That means uh, there uh, need to be a driver in the driving seat. But uh, there is another autonomy, which is fully autonomous vehicle. That means there will be no driver in the driving seat and the vehicle is, um, the vehicle has the technology to take all the control of our driving and then it can take all the decisions. Uh, so currently, uh, Uber and Waymo, they are uh, testing their vehicles and uh, they don't have any driver in the driving seat, but uh, there is also a safety driver because they are all testing the, drive, uh, testing the vehicles. So yeah, so for, uh, we are actually working in considering a fully autonomous vehicle because uh, in the fully autonomous vehicle, there will be no uh, driver communication. Like if there is a pedestrian, uh, there is no way to communicate with an actual driver. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in, in a manually driven vehicle, there is uh, nodding or eye movements or hand gestures sometimes to communicate uh, between the driver and the pedestrian. But in a fully autonomous vehicle, when there is no driver, this type of communication will no longer be provided. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in that part, we are mainly focusing. That's awesome. Uh, I want to get back to that because that's a really interesting topic, the whole communication piece. Um, but before that, uh, how can you explain to us kind of like how this works? Um, what are the main kind of concepts that are required like um, to, to make this whole idea of autonomy work um, from maybe a, a hardware standpoint or even a software standpoint? Uh, what are the things that uh, are needed? Um, to make it work. There is a lot of the hardware side for being able to remotely control the gas pedal, the brake, gear changing, all those things. Um, but from my understanding, that's always kind of been like the easy part is to automatically control it. Uh, the hard part is always making the vehicle understand the world that it's in. Hmm. Um, there was a very early example of, I think it was some professor that posed a question to his class, if they could build the computer program something that would be able to identify a bird in a picture. And he kind of threw it out to the class as like, oh, this is just a silly thing. But no one was able to do it. And a matter of fact, no one was able to do it for a decade afterwards. 
Because it turns out being able to understand like what we're looking at is a really hard problem. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest things that's um, the hardest part with autonomous vehicles is it identifying that there is a person in front of it um, as opposed to an oddly shaped bush or anything else. So that's kind of, I think, the hardest part is it being able to, first of all, see the world and what technology to use for that. And there are a few different options. And then I guess also, how should it react to it? Because people um, are very flexible. They make decisions based on like what's happening right now and typically make pretty good predictions. But computers always will react in the same way. And if something unpredictable happens, a person suddenly jumps out in front of the road, the computer just might not know what to do with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from a technological standpoint, uh, you mentioned there are options. Can you kind of briefly describe to us what are those kinds of ways? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yes. Uh, for hardware, the only one I'm familiar with is LiDAR, which uses uh, bounced waves. Um, basically like a sonar type thing to determine where stuff are. Um, And because of Google's work, um, there's been a lot of advances on the programming side um, for being able to determine like what are objects in a picture. Uh, I think Google now has an entire thing where you can just upload a picture and it will say that it's a person swinging a bat with a red hat on uh, in the summer or something. And it gets it surprisingly accurate. So there's also a lot of software side typically being done by artificial intelligence algorithms. Mm. So so going to your kind of like specific research with um, interaction with uh, reduced mobility and pedestrians, what are the kind of specific things that your research has uncovered? So yeah, several works have been done uh, till now to explore the interactions between autonomous vehicle and regular pedestrians. So suppose uh, they have uh, explored that we can use animated faces in front of the vehicle so that uh, it can communicate with the pedestrian saying, if the uh, animated face shows a smiling, that means it's safe to cross the road now. There can be LED stripe on the vehicle. Mm. Uh, The LED stripe could be red or green colored showing that uh, uh, whether it is safe to cross the road or not uh, or now. Uh, so our idea was to uh, explore a subset of this uh, issue, uh, such as exploring the interaction only for a specific group of people, which is um, who use uh, assistive technology in their day-to-day life. It could be wheelchair users or mobility scooters. So as a starting point of our research, we are currently considering only wheelchair users so that uh, we can find out what type of um, interfaces they may uh, require while taking a crossing decisions. So uh, at at the first point, we have uh, done a design study where we call different participants and ask them to sketch their ideas from their perspective and uh, to design some paper prototypes uh, of the different interfaces. But um, uh, it's hard to uh, recruit uh, participants who actually use wheelchairs. So we Mm. uh, recruited all the able-bodied pedestrian uh, participants from our lab and they are all interaction designers and we asked them about our we introduced our design problems to them and asked them to think from their side and to give us some ideas and how this could be done 
So I uh, we got different findings from that. Suppose uh, some of the interface ideas was uh, including push button in the wheelchair that would be dedicated to the wheelchair users. If they push the button, then it will represent that uh, they want to cross the road now. And if there is an autonomous vehicle, if the autonomous vehicle acknowledges the pedestrian, then uh, the vehicle will send some information. It could be haptic feedback on the wheelchair. That means the wheelchair will vibrate and the pedestrian will know that now it's safe to cross the road and they will cross the road then. Interesting. And, yeah, and there were other uh, ideas that were similar to previous work, suppose uh, having laser projection on the road, that uh, there will be a laser beam from, from the vehicle that will be uh, on the road, uh, that will be projected on the road. It could be green color, meaning that it's now safe. But uh, these ideas can be also applicable for regular pedestrian as well. Mm -hmm, yeah. So some of the ideas are, um, totally dedicated to the pedestrian who use wheelchair, such as having haptic feedback on the wheelchair or having push button on the wheelchair. So currently we have these findings yeah. and now we are hoping to develop this in the virtual reality. That's cool. awesome. And so from an like application standpoint, how, how does that kind of work with the communication between the, uh, the autonomous vehicle and the, the wheelchair? Is there like a, uh, one system that they're like connected to so that they communicate? Like, how does that work? So we are thinking that there will be some uh, ways such as wireless communication or uh, Bluetooth communication that may connect all the uh, street infrastructure, suppose the street lights, the vehicle and the pedestrian's wheelchair or a specific device that could be mounted on the wheelchair to do this communication. Oh, that's cool. so interesting. So so essentially, it's almost like an ecosystem of devices that just kind of helps protect. Yeah. yeah, cool. So actually, this ties really nicely into the next little bit here. Um, and this is a hot topic with autonomous vehicles. Um, so if either one of you want to weigh in or both of you guys want to weigh in, feel free to 100%. Um, but this idea of liability and who is responsible and like what happens if the vehicle malfunctions, right? Like, you know, it's, it's bad to hit anybody with a car already. Right. But now you have this idea of like, now there's no one driving it. Right. So where do you guys stand in terms of this idea of like, who's responsible and how do you mitigate that? And will your research actually help uh, companies or maybe even people with their lawsuits? Yeah. Cause I think that it's been fairly clear in the past. Cause I think a lot of the technology for like making autonomous vehicle already exists in like a decent form, but people have a much higher expectation with autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, people get in small accidents all the time, but if that happened with autonomous vehicles, I don't think that they would show up on the road. They have to be better than normal drivers, um, which is why both of our research is all about safety because that's one of the big limiting factors for autonomous vehicles being on the streets. Um, but yeah, in terms of liability, that has come up before as kind of an ethical question. Um, right. yeah. Entire website about where you get to choose. It runs into like a mother and a daughter or five people on the other side of the road because it has to swerve all the way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's it's such a complex question. 
This is a very tough question. My opinion would be if there was like a clear traceable fault, um, it went to the mechanic and they did the work wrong. Something that showed clear negligence, right. it would fall on whoever made that mistake, software, hardware, mechanic, whatever. Um, but if it was because the vehicle was working fine, but it kept driving on salty roads and so eventually that eroded the brakes or something um, and that caused an accident, I lean towards the idea that it doesn't make sense necessarily to apply blame um, if it just occurred by chance and that it wasn't anyone's real fault. I know that it means that in certain situations like insurance, who do you charge for it? Right. Um, but on the other hand, I don't know if it necessarily makes sense to apply blame to like one person if no one was negligent in what resulted. Right, yeah. right, yeah. The same way if a rock fell off a mountain and hit your car, there's no one to blame. You don't sue someone for that. It's just a thing that happened. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. For instance, like the hailstorm we had in Calgary, yeah. I don't know if you could blame the people who made your windshield for your car because it cracked, because, oh, why didn't you build it stronger to resist right. this hail? Yeah. But it's just, they can only do what they expect. And if they took the precautions that were reasonable, um, at some point it just would be chalked up to act of God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's where your research comes into uh, a big importance of like, you guys are doing what you can do um, uh, as mm -hmm. much as you can to mitigate all of these risks and ensure that, you know, liability may be covered. At, at least it seems like that's what this work is all about. Oh. I'm curious here, in, in your heads, what is the timeline for when we have uh, streets completely full of 100% autonomous vehicles? What, what is the timeline that in your head for that? So this would just be my own personal opinion. Totally, yeah. Uh, my guess would be on the order of 20 to 30 years, mainly because I don't think it's going to ultimately be technology that slows us down. Mm -hmm. It's going to be laws and people's acceptance of the technology. Yeah. Every time that a car drives off the road or anything like that, that will put it back a year or two because it'll suddenly get picked up by the media and everyone will be like, oh, autonomous vehicles aren't safe. We can't let these on the road. Yeah. And so then we have to slowly build up trust in the system again. Yeah, I agree with Christopher. Yeah, maybe some people will like autonomous vehicle because they can take a nap or do some other task while uh, in a car because they don't need to drive the car by themselves. Uh, but uh, who are as a pedestrian or some other road users, they might not get it uh, quite well because if it uh, feels risky, that's why we're doing the research because um, we want to develop some interfaces that can ease this process, that can uh, build the communication between these two, like the vehicle and the road users. But uh, when they get acceptance, uh, when they start to accept the reality that there is autonomous vehicle in the road, then uh, these uh, interfaces might not be necessary. Like they will be already um, no. Uh, knowing that uh, there is autonomous vehicle and how to react if there is an autonomous vehicle. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. So um, kind of looking back at our conversation uh, in, in its entirety, uh, what, why should people care about autonomous vehicles and um, why should they care kind of about the safety behind it, I guess? I think the reason people should care about autonomous vehicles is that if we can get the technology out there, um, we can produce much 
faster travel, um, much safer. Uh, as Asha mentioned, the more autonomous vehicles you have and that they can communicate, the smoother the system will run. Um, the ability to basically remove traffic lights and stop signs and things like that because they already know exactly how to move to flow through each other. Um, I think that can make a much more efficient economy. Your travel to work could be half as long. And you don't need to constantly be paying attention. You're just always the passenger. You can yeah. sit, read a book, work on your emails, whatever. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's also being claimed that autonomous vehicle might be more safer because we know that uh, human drivers uh, are limited because of human errors. So autonomous vehicle will have all the technology with softwares and hardware. So some uh, like it has been claimed that autonomous vehicle might be more safer than uh, manually driven vehicle. Cool. Cool. And so if there's one piece of advice that you, both of you could leave our listeners with today, what would it be? Be excited about autonomous vehicles, uh, but be a little bit patient because groups are going to try and sell the technology before it's fully ready and try and get you hyped that it's going to come out this year when it's probably still a little bit off from what they say. Mm -hmm. cool. yeah, yeah, it would be cool uh, to look into different um, ideas about autonomous vehicle. But yeah, as Christopher said uh, that, yeah, it will not be available in the traffic uh, very soon. All right. Well, so if uh, as a last kind of bit here, um, if people want to learn more about you guys uh, and your work, or even just general about autonomous vehicles, um, and all the safety implications, um, where can they go? Where can they go to find your work? Or are there any resources that you want to direct people at? So, uh, yeah, they might uh, look into our, like, uh, groups, a webpage, which is Utouch Group, there we have all our uh, uh, account, like, I have my research works listed there. So, yeah, they can find uh, my uh, a site as well to find my email address if they want uh, to know more they can just send me email to learn more specific things and my profile is also on that page so you can go to the UTouch site and again contact me for any questions or ideas Perfect. that's awesome yeah and we'll we'll leave uh links and stuff in the description of the podcast and stuff uh those will be there for all our listeners to uh go check out all right. Perfect. All right, guys. Thank you, Asha. Thank you, Christopher, for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. Thanks for tuning into What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on Instagram at UFC underscore CPSC for more computer science content. If you have any questions or want to suggest future episode topics, you can also visit anchor.fm slash whatthetech-ucalgary. There, you can leave us a voice message with your questions for a chance to get featured in future episodes. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for another episode of What the Tech.